the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Great to be together. And it is, of course, the night of the State of the Union. State of the Union. And uh, later on in the program, uh, we will talk. I will tell you about the list of guests the list of guests. This is a tradition that happens at these events now uh, since Ronald Reagan that you bring guests to illustrate some point or some policy issue or some political uh, argument. You'll have a, a set of uh, guests in the balcony in the um, in the audience, and they'll you know there's a military guy there who did that, and there's a a woman who did X or Y, and there's a old timer who did such and such. Of course, famously, a few years ago when uh, Rush Limbaugh was in the audience, he received the Presidential Medal of Freedom um, because he was very, very sick, and he turned out it was uh, well timed since he he lived he lived very uh, lived with cancer for just a short period of time. So actually, longer than people expected, to be honest. I thought the type of cancer he had was going to be even worse. But uh, anyway, uh, that there's we'll go through that list later. But what you need to know today is. Um, Joe Biden is taking us down the path uh, of what what I only can call, and I've told you before, is the narrative machine. The narrative machine is when Joe Biden, big government, tells us something, and he's backed up by big media and big tech, and they don't see through it. Uh, they don't. They, they don't do anything to sort of break it down. They don't do nothing. And so we have uh, Joe Biden who's going to say everything's great, uh, things are going fine. Um, it's getting better and better. Uh, jobs are more plentiful. And um, the reality is the number one reality for most people is inflation. The other reality is the lower the loss of value in their uh, pensions and in their retirement vehicles. That's something you hear if you ask anyone about that and they'll say their pension and uh, retirement vehicles are down. Now, one thing to point out is a lot of people's uh, stuff retirement was up was up fairly dramatically. So when it's down from being way up, it's still people are doing okay, uh, but they don't feel good about it. And especially inflation, a, a food inflation to me is the most stunning thing I've, I've seen. I think I've told you that I have a a, a, a a brand of bacon that my kids like to eat and I like it too. It used to be that you could buy this big, uh, I think it's about a one and a half pound uh, package of bacon and it costs about... Um, I think it was uh, $11.99, $12. Not, not, not insignificant, real money. It's $19.99 now. And now it's almost always on sale for $17.99. But that, that reality is it's up from $11.99 to $7. It's $6 up for bacon. Milk is the same way. Eggs, you've, you've heard all of it. So uh, what, what, what you need to know is when you listen to Biden, you know you're being lied to now. You know you should distrust and verify but pull back and stand there and say to yourself, huh, what is it that we're, how do, if I distrust and try to verify this, what am I being lied about? Is it everything? Is it everything? Think about, I mean, if you believe 
that Joe Biden and the, the Biden crime family are compromised vis-a-vis China and the communist regime because Hunter Biden was in negotiating with them and had investments of billions of dollars. If you think that, then you would say that the conduct of President Biden, he, he has not committed to banning TikTok. He has not committed to punishing the drug, uh, the fentanyl uh, producers um, in China. When they had the spy balloon pass over uh, the United States, Biden seems slow to react. I'm not saying I can read his mind to know why, but if you just asked for the type of behavior that would indicate a compromised president, you'd get what Biden did. Don't you think? I, I don't see any way that that could be an argument. If you were to describe a president who is kowtowing to China, what else could there be? I mean, I, you know, he's not he's not asserting the Monroe Doctrine and saying, get out of our hemisphere. He's not pushing back on the uh, fentanyl in any meaningful way. You just at a certain point, you shake your head and you say, well, this is what we've got. We've got a president. Uh, the, the Biden crime family is compromised. And we're just going to have to live with that. But here's the other thing about tonight's uh, State of the Union. The articles that were coming out in support of. So let me let me walk you back. I, I, I know better from the state of the state speeches when I worked for a governor that you roll out his speech the day of. You, you release the text to some reporters the day of and the same thing with the State of the Union. And then you you sort of follow on the speech with all kinds of accompanying voices and accompanying uh, um, uh, pieces of the narrative. So if your speech is going to be uh, about uh, jobs are back in place, then some of your guests are people that got a new job or some of them are CEOs or things like that. And so you build backwards from the speech and then through the speech, you build the narrative. And so you actually see, I think Joe Biden is going off to Wisconsin or uh, some, a couple places to after the speech uh, on, uh, on Wednesday and Thursday to try to hammer home what he's talking about. That's kind of how you build out your speech. And so the voices that were trotted out, the sort of second, uh, secondary voices, the echoing voices, the validating voices, that's the best way to say it. Uh, like Pete Buttigieg was on the shows on Sunday and he's talking about the success and what the state of the union is and all this kind of stuff. He's all on talking points, but, but some of the talking points were so clearly focused on a reelection that you have to call tonight's state of the union, a soft launch of 2024 reelection. That is as clear as can be. And I have predicted it the whole time. But we're there now. Anybody who doesn't see that that Joe Biden is running for re-election is not looking. He is as clearly running for re-election, and the echoing voices around him, the voices of the people that are delivering the message that hey, here's why it's a good State of the Union. Here's why it's a good uh, important time. Here's why those people are delivering that message, clear with in the context of running for a re-elect. There's no doubt about that now. And here's the thing. As I predicted, there's no reason for him to yield. There's no good reason for him to yield. Even though his numbers are in the tank, they've always been in the tank. He's never been wildly popular. He, he's going to say, well, that's not what matters. What matters is I can win all the right states 
and then I can win the states that are, are close. And, you know, he did it once. That's what he's going to say, or he thinks he did it once. So that was the opening of the 2024 re-election campaign of Joe Biden. That's what you need to know. That's what is coming. And you can even see the themes around it. And, uh, you know, I, I mentioned earlier that we were, uh, I, I was, um, yeah, I was yesterday, uh, two day, two days ago, I, I guess uh, last week, late last week, we talked with Cynthia Hughes and, of the Patriot Freedom Project. And she's up in, uh, she was up in uh, Maryland earlier today. I, I guess she was there for, yeah, it was for an event. And uh, it was at the Marriott. And she, they got a phone call to Marriott, a local Marriott. Uh, someone complained. And the Marriott said, yeah, we don't care if you're complaining. You know, you were having a, a fundraiser, an event for the January 6th uh, family, you know, this uh, effort to support the families. And the and then, at least so far, what we're told, uh, I haven't seen the paperwork yet, but I will get to see it. The National Marriott Hotel Company sent a letter to the local Marriott and said, you cannot let this event take place. And so Cynthia Hughes and the Patriot Freedom Project, everybody scrambled. And one of the people there, uh, one of the supporters said, I'll host it at my house. And it, and it came off great. The point is the Biden machine that drove the message home that be afraid, be be really afraid, democracy's on the ballot. That's coming back. That's coming back. That's coming back in it with a vengeance. That's the only play that he knows how to play. Remember, this is the guy, Joe Biden, who announced for president and said he's announcing for president because he watched what happened at Charlottesville, and then he lied about it. He said what happened at Charlottesville, and then he lied. Then Biden lied about it and said, you know, Trump supported it. He didn't support it. He denounced it. He denounced it, but he did say that there were people at the at the event that cared about the statues. Those weren't the people that were uh, white nationalists and neo-Nazis at all. He denounced them. But Joe Biden lied about it. And that's what, because fear works. That's a secret. What you need to know is fear works. So Joe Biden ran for office in 2020 and ran again in supported candidates in 2022 based on fear. Based on fear. That's what he's going to do again. The campaign for 2024 began at the State of the Union speech, and be afraid of how nasty Biden and his team will get. They're going to make you think that everything's at stake, everything's at stake, and everything's bad, and everything's terrible. Be afraid, be afraid, be afraid. That's what they're going to try to do. We have to fight our way through the hoax. We have to make people realize they're lying, that they are lying, and we have to do better for our country. And ourselves. It's going to be a heck of a challenge. It's going to be a heck of a couple of years. That's what happened last night. That's what you need to know. All right. Uh, we'll be right back. Uh, listen, uh, let's um, let's see. We got Mark Mix today. We'll talk Mark Mix and we'll talk about uh, workers and a whole lot more. Be right back. It's Ed Martin here on a Pro America Report. Don't forget, visit ProAmericaReport.com. ProAmericaReport.com. Sign up for the daily email, the daily wink, what you need to know uh, there and other emails from the Phyllis Lab Eagles. Be right back. Ed Martin, Pro America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here, and we are on The Answer San Diego, and uh, my friend Mark Mix 
has been in the mix. There you go, Mark. I'm sure I'm not the first person to do that. He's the president of the National Right to Work Committee and has been in the mix, has been in the fight for decades. Um, He's also the president, by the way, of the National Right to Work Legal Defense Foundation. I'll put both of those up on social media. You know, uh, Mark, as I was uh, preparing, I was talking to Andrea Kay, one of our our hosts. I don't know if you've been on her show before, but um, about the fact that we're up against uh, President Biden in the State of the Union. Thankfully, most of our listeners wouldn't be bothered. But I, I want to ask the, uh, you about this, about the question of of workers and about um, where we are as an economy and as a culture of you know business and and entrepreneurship and all. Um, under Joe Biden, is this? I hate to say it like this is a bit of a setup. Is it as bad as it seems? I mean, everything the unions want, it feels like Biden does. Well, that's right, Ed. And everything that the unions want is the ability to take more rights away from individual workers. And it's not surprising when you follow the narrative of this president. I mean, and the State of the Union address for those that uh, want to jump over there real quick. I don't recommend it. Stay here. Stay, <laughs> no, here, stay here with that. Stay here. Yeah, stay here with that. But he's going to talk about, you know, union this and union that. And really, when you decipher what he says, and it's not hard to decipher, Ed, he's talking about more power for union officials to force more workers under union monopoly bargaining and representation, because that's really what he's talking about. When he talks about, you know, uh, the union this and union that, he's talking about union power. And, you know, when you think about it in context, only 6% of the private sector workforce is unionized today in America. And so he's basically kowtowing to a very small minority, well, even smaller because he's kowtowing to union officials, let alone rank and file workers, but he's ignoring the path and 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 the problems of of the ninety four percent of the workers out, out there that labor without union representation and they get paid and they get vacations and they get benefits and the notion that this everyone has to be unionized is ridiculous but that's what he's saying if you tune over in there but I don't recommend it again but that's probably what he's saying <laughs> yeah. today. Yeah, uh, we're talking with Mark Mix, by the way. Again, he had almost 20 years ago, 20 years ago this year, Mark uh, became the president uh, of both the committee and the foundation, National Right to Work, as a movement that's really, um, as as Mark has described it, it's about empowering the workers against what I think was the small C corruption, sometimes big C corruption of uh, union officials over time, right? And there's a history you can write about how when unions started 120 years ago, many of them were trying to protect people. At a certain point, the, 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 the you know, the system flipped. Uh, and I think that's what Mark uh, addresses really well and all across the country, uh, especially you'll see him over in Fox and Friends and other places. Uh, Mark, you, you, I got something forwarded to me of yours um, referring to, hey, look, if you had a freedom of speech in this country or the Second Amendment and you were only allowed to use it like an hour a day is the one on freedom of speech. And I think people feel that even more differently. The second example, Second Amendment, you know, if someone said, yeah, you're right to keep and bear arms, but only on the weekend. Right. But freedom of speech, I think people feel that one more palpably now. And your point was workers have lost their uh, freedom and are losing it. it. Let me push back for a second and say, is it? Is that a constitutional right? Is that is that is that what you're the Janus decision? Does that make it clear that that's what we're dealing with? And I think you should explain, walk us through that for our listeners to understand how that's uh, a constitutional protection, not just a good idea, not just a good policy. 
Yeah, absolutely, Ed. And thanks for you. You understand it exactly. But let me explain what happened and what the Janus decision is about and what this violation of free speech is coming down to. And this Biden administration, once again, saying that you, yeah, we recognize your free speech rights, but they only they only exist for 24 hours out of every year. And I'll, I'll start with the general and get we we'll get down to the, the specifics about what's happening and what the Biden administration is trying to do. Right. You know, unfortunately, in this country, Ed, as you mentioned, going back to the 1930s and even before, union officials have striven for the ability to control workers and force them into these collectives where they become the exclusive monopoly bargaining agent for all workers in a, in a unionized situation. Meaning that if you're an individual, you can't speak up, you can't talk to your employer, the employer can't talk to you. You have to go through a union official in order to communicate about terms and conditions of employment where you work. And right. so this monopoly power is unique. It really is. I mean, there's no other place where we can go in statutory law except labor policy where you can create an agency over me, Ed, without my agreement, without a meeting of the minds, without consideration, without duress, and without the legality of it being proven. Those are the elements of a contract. Yet in labor policy, we give union officials the power to set up a kind of a new agency relationship saying, well, Ed, you didn't vote for me. You didn't want me. You didn't ask for me. But because of your brothers and sisters voted for me by one vote more than than your side voted, I now speak for you and you can't speak for yourself. Obviously, we've argued over the years in what have been a series of Supreme Court cases and Supreme Court arguments going back to the 1970s, that that's a violation of your freedom of speech and further a violation of your freedom of association. Well, in 2018, we finally got to the Supreme Court with a case that had nothing left in the refrigerator, if you will. And I liken this to going to a delicatessen and asking for a quarter pound of roast beef. And they reach in there and grab that big hunk of of roast beef and they slice off some, they give it to you. And then you come back the next week and the next week and you do it because you like roast beef. Well, at some point they reach into that cooler and there's nothing left. And when the Supreme Court got the Janus decision in 2018, there was nothing left but the First Amendment when it came to compulsory forced payment of fees to government entities for the privilege to work for your government. And so the Supreme Court in a majority decision said these workers, government workers, have a First Amendment right to opt out of any forced payment of fees to unions because everything that unions do in the public sector is politics. They're redressing government. They're trying to convince government how to spend resources, how to raise resources, and how to basically run the government. And so the Supreme Court said, you know, we've got First Amendment constitutional protections. Well, when they said that, it started a four-year ongoing odyssey that we've been in since that time, defending those rights against workers. And now we have the Biden administration using the Federal Labor Relations Authority to say, oh, yeah, we recognize you have a constitutional right, but that right will only exist for 24 hours every year. And if you miss it, you're forced to f- compel speech for the next 364 days. Yeah, that that's I think, Mark, you know, uh, you explained it well. And I think it's important for people to realize uh, the um, power of the federal government, these regulatory agencies, they come up with something like that. Um, and they say, hey, yeah, yeah, of course, it's constitutional, right? We're just going to limit it in time. And it's going to be limited because of these criteria. And they make up the criteria and they, they make them sound good. And then you, y- y- worker, normal person have to sue to protect yourself. Now you got to get a lawyer. Everybody hates lawyers. You know, you got, they're expensive. You got to do this, that, and the other thing. And it's a real burden. And the trick of the massive state is to sort of outlast you and to outweight you and to outspend you. It's kind of like when big tech swamps these smaller uh, inventors because the inventors, I come up with one patent. Well, Google's got a thousand lawyers on salary that are going to beat me down on my patent. And I'm going to have to be 
spending my life savings and and burning through my uh, retirement. And and the uh, and in this your case, the government when it's Biden and they're they're putting the thumb on the scale, you know, you're you you basically have to litigate all the way back through. Which by the way, it, it argues uh, well for uh, your work and for the importance of uh, you know the, the 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 idea of having both the National Right to Work Committee as well as the National Right to Work Legal Defense Foundation. But it's a burden. And so let me ask you, what's the ideal solution? I mean, you're always going to end up with some. A Democrat, unfortunately, winning president sometime back and forth, back and forth. Is there a way that this could go up and be clearer? Are you hoping for a better case where the courts say, no, 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 that's not how it works? Yeah, I think so, Ed. And I think there's 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 debate about that ongoing right now. And it's been go- ongoing for a while, but it seems like it's gathered some new energy. And, and Ed, you probably have, have talked about this before, but it's called the Chevron Doctrine. Right, right. And the idea is that, you know, the this, the legislature passes something. They pass a statutory law. Right. It becomes into effect. And then it goes to the agencies for kind of putting meat on the bone, if you will. And the right. idea of interpreting what the statute means as it as it occurs every day in, in commerce or whatever. And so that EPA versus West Virginia case had brought this to the attention. Well, there's been other cases that have been up and talked about, but the West Virginia EPA case was one where the court said, you know what, we may have to take a deeper look at right. this idea of what the agencies do and kind of the license that they've they've claimed once a statute is passed and they perform these regulatory, you know, interpretations. And there's no place where it's happened more than that, that under the National Labor Relations Act, where the National Labor Relations Board, through precedent or through rulemaking or through just interpreting their interpretation of the law, where the the NLRA has been you know, basically swollen to a point where the the rights that were originally attended for workers, the right to refrain from unionization that's written into the preamble of the National Labor Relations Act has been so decimated and so larded up with barnacles that are, you know, non-statutory that there has to be something done about the agency creep that comes with, you know, all of these independent agencies and those that are that are making new precedent. So I think there's that's kind of a kind of a tangent off of the labor policy that we operate on. But we're sensitive to that notion because everything we do to your point, Ed, and you made it very well. You know, these workers are up against a, a battery of lawyers, whether it be by the government or by the organized labor officials. And we're fighting over what maybe, and I know it's not immaterial, but a thousand dollars a year. Right. And to your exactly. point, when you go find an yeah. attorney and he says, right. well, I'm going to need a $5,000 retainer to yeah. represent you. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, oh, there's, there's not, not a lot of, I mean, principle is nice and all, but you got to pay the bills and, and they, you know, and, and I think um, we're talking with Mark Mix again, and I will put up on social media links to uh, his websites and what they're doing. Um, but this is one of the problems I, I, I keep telling my listeners are tired of hearing about it. Um, but I, I, maybe they are, I I've been listening to a book on tape on Grover Cleveland. And when he was out of office, he came back into office. Um, you know, he's the one president that was um, thrown out of office and then came back again to win a second term. And um, and and one of the things that I um, fascinated with him is he lost because of the tariff issue. And be- but but he really lost because the workers, the country decided that, they, that he wasn't supporting the workers. I mean, that he that he was not paying attention to the workers. And but back then, the budget was like 50 million no kidding something crazy like that like there was no power in washington why because there hadn't been an income tax there's no federal income tax until the early 1900s so he didn't have a lot of tools to build up the arsenal now you go to washington there's building after building that's a cliche that's the building after building isn't what's important there's bureaucrat after bureaucrat who can make your life costly and delayed and make your business spend six months fighting through red tape at a certain point you wonder if it's reversible 
Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting when you look at the stats of just the number of lobbyists in Washington, D.C. And I this is what you're this is a <laughs> right. real manifestation of what you're talking about. I, I think it was I looked at this one time and during the, the beginning of the George W. Bush administration, there was something like five thousand lobbyists in Washington, D.C. registered. At the end of his eight years, there were 35,000. Wow. Now, what does that tell you about the power of government and right. how it grows? Right. And I suspect the number is even greater today because wow. government's involved in the federal government. And let's get this correct. The federal yeah. government has gone way outside the fence posts that were originally established for them under the specifically enumerated powers that they would have. And, you know, one right. of the pot problems that we deal with every day is this expansion of labor policy. When you go back and you made the point earlier about unions and going back to, you know, 120 years ago, and you are right. When you go back to the late 1800s, early 1900s, Samuel Gompers, the father of the American labor movement, the gentleman that, you know, the textbooks refer to as the, you know, the leader of the worker movements back at the turn of the century then was all in favor of volunteerism. He said that the workers of America adhere to voluntary institutions because anything that, that is forced together through compulsion is inherently weaker than anything brought together through volunteerism. And that makes perfect sense. And yet, now we have a union, you know, officialdom that is so reliant on government power and basically all of their power comes from government decrees that they've got to spend billions politically every two years. Ed. Right. And this is no surprise to anybody. And the reason is because government gotten so doggone big yeah. and that just kind of rolls back and spills back to the Chevron doctrine and exactly. the precedence and the NLRB and cases like this where the federal relations of Federal Labor Relations Authority is going to tell you that your constitutional rights only exist for 24 hours. Yeah. Well, Mark, it's a very helpful service. I've told you before, Mark Mix is the president of the National Right to Work Committee and the National Right to Work Legal Defense Foundation, and especially in terms of I know you do you're in the fight for uh, your members and for lots of folks, but it's also just educating all of us on this. I think it's an important it's we have to get a mindset uh, that includes a sort of the practical um, return of power. You know, you, you, oh, let's give power back to the states. Well, that sounds good, but it's easy, easy kind of, to, that's easy to outlast if you're a politician or elected official. <laughs> Very specific uh, opportunities to say, roll this back so that there's more uh, clarity on things or, um, is really important. So thanks for taking the time. Mark Mix, everybody. And I, I didn't even get into, I was going to, I'm sorry, our show originates out in San Diego. I was going to get into some of the question of, uh, the jobs numbers and what it really means for workers as opposed to, to how they're playing games and and what this uh, influx of millions and millions of uh, of illegal uh, um, immigrants is doing, but we don't have time, so we'll have you back again. Mark Mix, everybody, thank you, Mark. Uh, we will uh, we'll be in touch and we'll put it all up on social media. Thanks very much. Thank you, Ed. Appreciate the opportunity. All right, uh, that's uh, we'll we'll take a break and we come back. We've got a lot more. Don't forget, you can go to Andrea K Show at Andrea K Show on Twitter and you follow me at Eagle Ed Martin, and I'll put all of Mark Mix's stuff up on social media too. Be right back. I'm uh, here on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. You know, I'm going to have to adjust or fine-tune one of the aspects of the narrative machine. You know, the narrative machine is my idea that the narrative that we're um, forced to accept the narrative that we're forced to accept about what is happening around us is managed by big tech, excuse me, big government 
big tech and big media, the three of them working together to force the narrative on us. And I used to say the big government, you know, lays out or, or puts out the message that they want or influences it. And, uh, and then the others sort of move along like in a symbiosis along the path together. But when you see stories like the one I'm looking at now, uh, you realize it's more intertwined than that. And the Twitter files every, day it seems has shown more of that well one of the examples now is this aaron berman who is the misinformation policy director at facebook meta and he's a former cia guy top level cia guy so he's at the cia until june of uh, excuse me july of 2019 when he left to take a senior job excuse me to take a the uh uh senior senior product policy manager for misinformation so high-level CIA, then switch over to Facebook. Is it any surprise? Is it any surprise that the the uh, uh, the managing the the direction of the narrative is working hand in glove? I mean, the standard joke is that NBC and MSNBC, by extension, it's not a joke. The standard sort of canard, the thing people will say is the CIA, you know, runs people into those places. And so the NBC, you look at it and that's what, the, that's what the CIA, what NBC is pushing is what the CIA wants. That's so that's one way to, to think of that. That's kind of a simple one. And so you kind of, you know, you look at that and you're like, uh, um, that, that's, that's the kind of, uh, a well-known thing. What's not as well-known, I, I don't think, or wasn't until the last three months, six months. Oh yeah, and MSNBC, of course, is uh, that's where Morning Joe is, and there there is m- a pushing a, a party line of the CIA or the intelligence community party line. It sure seems as anybody. But what was missing to all of us was that it's actually more specific. It's not symbiotic. It's not oh, we all have the same mindset because we're similarly situated. No, it's actually you go from being at the CIA at a senior level to being at Facebook Meta at a senior level. You're in charge of misinformation at the at the at Facebook. Now, I suppose someone could say, "Well, who better than to track f- uh, misinformation than the CIA guy?" Well, maybe, maybe he's just a really talented uh, uh, spotter. But it feels like, and again, what's in the air? What's in the air is distrust and verify. That's just a reality. You can wish that the dynamic was in such. You know, in, in in a way that was different, but that's where we are. And once you have that mindset, you say, "What? Distrust and verify." There's no way that the guy that runs the top level of CIA, one of the departments or whatever senior level, right, capable guy, is somehow going to be over at uh, at um, at uh, now uh, Facebook at a high level. This guy went to Williams College. That's right, he went to Williams College, top elite college. And then he went to Georgetown for a master's, this uh, Aaron Berman. And then he went for 15 years in the CIA. And then he slid right over to Facebook. That's incredible. It's incredible. And and again, with distrust and verify as our mindset, you say to yourself, well, it's fairly, it's, it's fairly predictable where we're going to end up here. That the messaging out of Facebook, that the narrative out of Facebook the narrative out of MSNBC and NBC influenced so much by the CIA and is actually in this case, CIA run. 
And it just makes you be, it makes you say, what else is not independent? Or differently, <laughs> everything, everything looks and sounds and feels like it's dependent on the intelligence community managing the narrative. Certainly what it feels like. Certainly what it feels like. All right. Uh, we will take a break and we come back. We'll wrap things up. Uh, I'll let you know who was at the State of the Union and why. Who is there and why when we come back? It's Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. We'll be back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily commentary continuing the conservative pro-family legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. Looking back on 2022, it's plain to see that Democrat-dominated Hollywood completely flopped. The liberal media lost $540 billion in market value in 2022 alone. The Dow Jones Media Titans Index, which includes 30 of the world's largest media companies, including Disney, it crashed by 40% in value, far more than many other industries. Hollywood's end-of-the-year extravaganza, the big-budget Babylon movie about itself, was a sickening display of depravity that bombed at the box office. Even liberal critics expressed dismay at how low this movie sank. Obviously, no matter what empty titillation Hollywood puts forth, they cannot overcome the American people's increasing disgust with their self-obsessed wokeness. All they can do is try to blame scapegoats for their misfortunes, including the interruption by COVID. Without a doubt, COVID forced Hollywood to change their model. Going to the movies is simply not the draw that it once was. However, there are many other avenues through which Hollywood can make their money. Poor box office performance is no excuse. Streaming services were supposed to be the next big thing, but they likewise posted losses in 2022. The Wall Street Journal estimates that more than 100 million Netflix viewers are freeloading off of someone else's password. That's totaling nearly half of its worldwide subscriber base. Of course, Netflix can't blame all of their woes on shared accounts. As Netflix turned to promoting perversity, millions of Americans simply turned it off. The doors of Hollywood used to be firmly shut to independent family-oriented creators, but a sharp increase in the availability of high-tech equipment has seen the competition in the film industry become limited only by the artistic vision of potential competitors. The Christian film community is bigger than ever before, and there's nothing Hollywood or streaming titans can do to stop them. Americans are tired of having their entertainment ruined by leftist dogma. Hollywood either needs to tone down the radicalism, or the free market will see their power wrested away from them for good. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. It's no secret that globalists are bent on destroying Western culture. Whether the threat comes from inside or outside our borders, America must be protected from cultural Marxism and those who would deny American sovereignty. We're seeking your insight at phyllisschlafly.com. That's phyllisschlafly.com. And join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. So why exactly at every State of the Union, and uh, and if you didn't watch the thing last night, uh, uh, you can um, you can 
see the coverage of it. Um, why at every state of the union are there all these strangers brought in as guests? And the answer is uh, some history is let me, let me offer some history first. First, um, there was not a, a delivered set of remarks for the state of the union for, I don't know, 120 years, 140 years. It, almost all of the reports to the Congress were written reports and they were required that way. In fact, I, I believe, I, I think it's, um, December of, of 18, I know it's December of 1823 when, uh, James Monroe, President Monroe delivered the statement to Congress, uh, by sending the document, not by delivering a speech for the Monroe Doctrine. I think it was in one of the State of the Unions. They weren't called that. They weren't t- termed that same way, uh, that they are now. But as we got into the last, uh, the, the last about 100 years, maybe 75 years, it became popular to read it. There was there was a uh, uh, radio and then uh, certainly for TV, it was a made for TV moment, but not until, of course, when I say it, you'll smile and know uh, why the great uh, Ronald Reagan, who knew a thing or two about producing uh, films and uh, filmography and uh, how things look and sound. He's the one who introduced the idea of bringing guests that were illustrative of what you were doing. And so he did that. I can picture, I think he had a firefighter. One of the early ones was a firefighter. And after 9-11, there were some of the people that came. And, of course, uh, uh, Donald Trump loved it. I mean, Donald Trump loved the idea of this, these images. And so that's why you got things. And so uh, Joe Biden had different workers. And he had a number of people from the cancer uh, field because he has had this big push. One of his things is a moon shot uh, to uh, heal people of cancer. Um, but the one that made me laugh was uh, Bono was there. Bono, the mus- musician from U2. Uh, U2, um, I, I keep wanting to say YouTube. Can you imagine U2? U2 was a band for, I don't know, 20 years. And then YouTube became popular. And I think probably most kids under the age of, what, 18, don't know what U2 is, but they know YouTube. But so there was Bono. And you say to yourself, there's Bono. And first of all, one thing I'm sorry to say, because I guess I'm with him. He looks old. He looks old. When I was a kid, he was a young guy. And I guess we're no longer kids. So uh, that was one thing that's striking to see. He doesn't look quite as hip when he's got colored glasses and uh, sort of a funky look. But he is, you know, he's a he's accomplished musician, accomplished uh, entertainer. But it does kind of make you smile, right? Like if you're Joe Biden and you want to bring a, a rock and roll guy and a liberal, I mean, Bono's a known big uh, national internationalist and all. But why wouldn't Biden bring like... Bring uh bring um uh, Bruce Springsteen or or and I guess Bruce was with Obama a bunch or bring um uh what, what what's uh, the the um one of the Bon Jovi I think Bon Jovi's a liberal bring somebody like that not not yet but even even you can even make fun of uh I didn't see if Trump did it but I wouldn't be surprised if he did if he said making fun of Biden for bringing um an Irish rocker you know like we can't even put america put america first make america first even for aging rockers who are brought to be props at the uh at the event but i you look those those things are relatively effective they're relatively effective because they give you a hook they give you a a, a hook on which to hang your kind of uh thoughts when you're thinking about oh we're talking about cancer there's a uh, a kid who survived cancer there's uh parents who are you know their, their child survived cancer i think there was one of the, one two of those like that um there's so and so a family of uh of the 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 Tyree Nichols is that he says his name that you know and so so there's images that you can put together with the storyline that you hope capture uh the attention the problem is i don't think most normal people watch this speech I mean, I'm not normal. And even I only watched part of it. I 
forgot that it was on because it's my daughter's birthday. And so I didn't even bother to pay attention. All of a sudden I was like, huh, wait a second. I should probably check in on that. So, but that's why you get all those uh, speakers, uh, guests. That's the uh, reason that the uh, State of the Union became such a uh, big Megilla. Um, but it is, um, Entertaining nonetheless, and not ineffective. Not ineffective. I'm not sitting here saying, "Hey, that's a that's a terrible idea." It's actually pretty effective. Works pretty well uh, for people. And uh, the um, the reality is, of course, um, as I mentioned earlier, it was a kickoff of the campaign, uh, the uh, reelect of uh, of Joe Biden. He's running as sure as uh, sure as shooting. So, all right. Hey, by the way, I almost filled in for Andrea K. She was supposed to be away today. I didn't end up doing it, but next week I'll be filling in for her. So that'll be fun. Uh, I think next Monday I'll be filling in for the great Andrea K on her two hour program uh, earlier in the day on the answer San Diego. So I look forward to that. All right. Thank you as always to the great Noah Dingley, our producer for all his help and keeping things going. And thank you to Ryan Height, our associate producer. Don't forget, visit phyllisschlafly.com to find out more about my writings and John Schlafly and others and sign up for the daily wink there. You can get signed up there and uh, we will be back tomorrow. Uh, you can count on it. And uh, I'm looking at text here. Um, oh, Catherine Engelbrecht. Uh, someone, uh, someone did ask me this earlier. Catherine Engelbrecht's interview was last week. I think it was last Friday. So if you do a search on our website uh, or on SoundCloud where the uh, podcast is, you'll find it there. So, okay, we'll be back tomorrow. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Talk to you then. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.